Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Violence can destroy families. I decided one day that I could not stand having my children witnessing more of the physical, verbal and emotional abuse. While I was facing issues of family violence, I heard about a service available to assist people in my situation called InTouch. I called InTouch and spoke with someone in my language. InTouch gave me the support I needed. Thanks to the people at InTouch, I've been able to rebuild a better life for my family. If you need advice, contact InTouch for a free and confidential discussion in your language by calling 1800 755 988 or search InTouch Multicultural Centre online. In Touch. Brought to you by Victorian Women Lawyers and funded by Victoria Law Foundation. Hi, I'm Tristan Taramino and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR. Hello everyone. Hello 3CR listeners. Um, that's right, you're tuning into Queering the Air on 3CR 855 AM uh, right here in Fitzroy. So I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. I'd like to pay my respect to elders past and present and any elders who are tuning in right now. Um, um, on that note, I also want to mention that yesterday was the protest against, oh, well, to shut down the Dundale, deten- um, I guess, ju- juvenile detention centre um, prison that's in the Northern Territory. Um, as many of you perhaps will know, um, Four Corners released a video earlier this week um, just detailing, doing a big report on the issues um, that young Indigenous people are facing at young Indigenous boys actually are facing at Dundale Detention Centre and um, it's extremely horrific. Um, Yeah, so yesterday there was a massive protest um, in the city and, yeah, there was a sit-in overnight as well. So um, uh, I'm not sure if it's still happening now, but I think some people are still hanging around perhaps. Um, But they definitely did stay around overnight and up until the early mornings. Um, So lots of solidarity to them. Um, so today we've got a pretty packed program, really exciting. Yesterday was Queering the Airs fundraiser. If, if you weren't there, then, um, I'll do you a really quick recap. Um, so we had lots of performers, poets, um, musicians. It was really good. We, we definitely raised over $900, um, which including like people pledging already for our Radiothon, Radiothon earlier this year. We've definitely made our target this year for Radiothon. So thank you so much for all the Queering the Air listeners tuning in right now who um, supported us financially and came last night as well. Um, and also for anyone who, you know, couldn't put in any money this year that's totally okay thank you so much for tuning in it's really important that um that queering the air is on a station like 3cr and firstly and also that 3cr exists so thank you for supporting 3cr um so today's program is um lots of interviews that i did last week with my friend eric so eric and i we did a couple of interviews with um 
with a film director called um, Quinn uh, Wingley, and she is a filmmaker, second generation queer Vietnamese filmmaker based in um, California in the States. And um, she just finished, well, she's like touring a couple of her films at the moment, but we um, we did an interview with her and the cast on um, her recent documentary called Queer Vietnamese-ness. Um, so I'll just tell you a little bit about Queer Vietnamese-ness and then we'll hear the interviews. Um, so the documentary follows the lives of three queer second-generation Vietnamese-American women navigating language, politics and familiar relationships. Their stories add dimensions to Vietnamese diasporic experiences in community organising, family, work in nail salons and living in Little Saigon, Orange County, California. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about um, the director first. So Quinn um, is a queer Vietnamese-American filmmaker from Los Angeles, California, um, after a brief stint at the USC School of Cinematic Arts, Quinn completed degrees in comparative literature and philosophy, politics, law at USC, then moved to Santiago de Chile to study Spanish with an emphasis on international politics. Quinn is also a graduate of the Los Angeles Inner City Filmmakers Program, the Emma L. Bowen Foundation Program at Focus um, Features NBC um, Universal and is a 206, 200, 2016 recipient of visual communications armed with a camera fellowship for emerging media arts. Very impressive. In recent years, Quinn directed a film for James Franco. Yes, that's right, you heard it. James Franco. I'll say it a little bit more slowly so you can hear it again. James Franco's The Labyrinth Anthology worked on Academy Award-nominated documentary called The Hunting Ground and finished their own first feature documentary, Queer Vietnamese-ness, which is what we're going to hear about all of today. Um, yeah, so the, the film features um, three, or the follows the lives of three people. So the first person is Rosie Vong Yim, a second-generation Vietnamese post-punk gay lesbian boy who is currently attending school for graphic design. She operates a blog about race and gender and distributes her self-published zine, Not Straight, Not White, Not Male. And then we have Natalie Newton, uh, a Vietnamese-American queer activist and strategic research analysis for social justice causes. Her leadership jettisoned Little Saigon OC into international view around politics that prevented LGBTs from marching in the largest gathering of diasporics in one place outside of Vietnam, the Westminster Tet um, Parade in 2013. Dr. Newton has published research and won national awards related to her work with Vietnamese lesbians in Saigon through her academic post at UC Irvine, which was also instrumental in the campaign's fight, uh, the campaign's fight against the roundly false notion that LGBT is against Vietnamese tradition. Um, and then we also have Shannon uh, Miley, is uh, is a claims adjuster for a workers' compensation insurance company and is a part-time entrepreneur. She is currently marri married to Katie Cheng. They reside in Little Saigon, Orange County, California. Prior to that, she lived in San Diego and San Francisco. With Katie, she has been traveling around the world playing League of Legends and watching The Walking Dead. They sound pretty amazing, hey? Um, so we're going to hear an interview with them now. And yeah, um, but right before we listen to the interview, I wanted to um, play a song by an artist that I really like, whose name I 
poorly pronounce. Um, but the song is called Tung, and um, the song is um, <clears throat> sorry, it's by an artist called um, Le Cat Jomni. So, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> documentary Queer Vietnamesis kind of started as my senior thesis in my last year of college. I was looking, I think, so I had just come off of another film project that I did and I wanted this time to focus very like succinctly on something that I really cared about and at first I didn't even think that all three people would be queer. It was about like Vietnamese feminists at first hmm. and I I didn't even know enough queer people, I didn't think, to, like, make a whole documentary about just that. Um, but that's what it sort of became. Um, I don't know if you want more details about that. There's a long story of how I got all of them to agree. Yeah, and um, how did you come to choose the characters in the film? So the... First person I asked was Rosie, um, and so she has a zine that's fairly popular called Not White, Not Straight, Not Male. Um, and I had read the zine and felt really connected to sort of like the things she was writing. And at the end, it just had her email. And right when I was about to email her, she added me on Facebook. And so, you know, technological world kind of brought us together. And I was kind of like, hi, you don't really know me, but I read your zine, and I'm making this film. Do you want to be in it? And she was kind of just like, yeah, sure. Um, so she, at that point, I thought was going to be my only, like, queer person in the film. And then, so Shannon's my cousin, and she had already gotten married to Katie, but they were going to have their wedding ceremony. So then um, the thought came that, oh, maybe I'll have two queer characters who are very different. Um, Nat is laughing at me right now and so how I found Nat was at this point I was like okay I need like a third queer person so I had an agenda at this point um, yeah. <laughs> so I scoured the internet I like typed like Southern California gay queer lesbian <laughs> all the words and I found a quote that um, from Nat about some activism that she was doing mm. about the parade um, in Orange County that we can 
also talk about later. Um, and yeah, and so then I found her dissertation. I read half of it, and then I emailed her, and then you know convinced her also to be in the documentary. And sort of the <laughs> I'm laughing because there's like a long, there's a longer version of the story. <laughs> this is the abridged version. Yeah, abridged yeah. <laughs> version of like how I made everyone believe that I was legit. I'm <laughs> being myself. Um, but the intention always was to find three people who had somewhat of a shared intersection of identity, right? So they're all second generation, born in the U.S., like queer, Vietnamese, like women, more or less. Um, and But they all had sort of different backgrounds like and stories. And that was really important because I, I didn't want two characters to be like opposites of each other you know it's not like about foils it's about like three people who have stories that diverge and like converge at different points and yeah i don't know Shannon, looks like you wanted to say something then no okay so that <laughs> that was the intention behind having three people and then having three people who are very different as well I wanted to know, um, what about your own role as a director? Do you also star in the film? So there was one point where I actually thought that I should be in the documentary too and that we would like make the doc together and I would have like the three of them film me. So Shannon asked me some interview questions and then Rosie filmed me a little bit too. I don't think Nat hmm. ever did that. But there, I mean, there was like a technical decision, I guess, that I have a certain like visual style and also like I hate the sound of my voice so when I put myself in it it was just kind of weird mm. and jolting to me so so I'm not present in the documentary itself as like a subject um but I mean it was such a collaborative like project that I feel like we all sort of worked on it in different ways like um Nat helped with the translations and then, like we've all been kind of like we we have like the documentary goes beyond the film itself into like our actual lives where like now we're not just like four people who like worked on this documentary together but we have like actual friendship and stuff <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that answers the question mm, yes um do you think your collaboration is reflective of perhaps a community that um, you all are a part of in California? I think this is Nat. Um, I think the film <clears throat> is very queer in a lot of ways. Like the content, of course, um, challenges norms around race and sexuality and gender. Um, and also the form itself, it's a very nonlinear film. So the, the structure of the film, I think, is it challenges also this, this narrative documentary format where you're kind of, you're taught a lesson about a community in a straightforward way. It's very, it's not like that. Um, and also, I think that, you know, Gwyn alluded to regarding how we all work together on the film. In that way, too, I feel like it queers the process of filmmaking, mm -hmm. where, you know, the, mm -hmm. the subjects and the, the quote, you know, filmmaker, the gaze is is turned in on itself sometimes too. Um, I mean, Gwen is not in the film as you know in terms of being her face isn't projected on the screen, but her hand is everywhere in the film. I think where 
my, I don't, I don't, my literal <laughs> hand. Because I put it in <laughs> Just um, leaving hand marks everywhere. Yeah, I had to swat the fingerprints everywhere. But yeah, I think it, it, her signature is all over the film. I think, and that, and in that sense too, I feel like we're we're. It, it's a very. It's a. It 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 undermines the hierarchical structure of 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 a lot of kinds of different filmmaking or or you know this kind of you know could be very top down where she's just in the background never saying anything or telling our story the way she wants to tell it and then instead it, she, I really felt like she, you know we were in conversation constantly throughout the process these couple years making this film and it's so you know I would tell her can you take that out please or I really need you to put that in it's really important to my image or or whatever and so in that sense to you know in the community I feel like there is a lot of alienation I think um I I know that um the audience members who have seen this film who are Vietnamese queer diasporics you know, feel the sense of imaginary community by that thing that film does when we watch it and we we think about ourselves in the films, you know, and um, so that feels really uplifting when I hear people say that. Um, and it's also very sad in the sense of feeling like, you know, how many generations have to go by before we finally feel truly connected to each other. Yeah, and I wanted to add on to what she said also is that the the film itself only shows really a fraction of the community. I, I wouldn't say it represents the whole community as a whole. Yeah. You know, so Shannon's referring to like queer Vietnamese people. Yeah, right. so it's that we are just like a glimpse of what it really is, but not, not like a full representation that there's more out there, stories out there that's not that hasn't been represented. Yeah. And like, I think the last thing I'd like to add about community is when I started this film, I literally only knew one other queer Vietnamese person, and that was my cousin, who's Shannon. And I, I feel like through the process of making this film, I, I became more connected to my Vietnamese-ness. I think I was kind of always connected to my queerness, but in like a different way. And this like exploring this specific intersection has like built a sort of community for me where like I know other queer Viet people now whereas like in 2013 when I started this I would have never imagined that we're all out here doing stuff and now we kind of know each other yeah this film is is still the one of the first if not the first film on Vietnamese like female queerness um in any way I mean there's there's a film that just came out called You, which is uh, made in Hanoi. That's a fi- that's a feature film, but in terms of documentary, this is still the first. So it, it sets a lot of precedent, and also, I mean, in so many ways, too, our stories um, tell very <coughs> quintessential elements of Little Saigon um, in Orange County, like the, the the mecca. It's the county with the largest population of enemies outside of Vietnam in the mm. world, right? Mm. And um, and you know, Shannon lives like right in the heart of, of Little Saigon here. Um, I was doing activism around LGBT justice, in, you know, in Little Saigon, and, and Rosie 
you know, um, you know, her. grew up here. So yeah. I was born and raised in LA, and so for me, Little Saigon wasn't like close enough to like feel like I was a part of it. Um, for me, it has all it had always been kind of like this like hegemonic like giant like this is what Vietnamese is. And like everything in Little Saigon would be more Vietnamese than me, who grew up like in LA, and I didn't know any Viet people outside of my family. Um, so that's kind of my relationship to Little Saigon because I didn't really grow up in Orange County, but Matt and Shannon did, so maybe they can talk <laughs> about it. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, uh, I travel around the world. And I've been to certain uh, locations that uh, the Vietnamese community are, are there. Um, I would say that Little Saigon seems like the the city that most, I, I guess, resembles a city in Vietnam, uh, compared to other city in other states and, and even other countries I've been to. Um, and the the culture itself, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, relating to LGBT, I think it's the same everywhere. I have it hasn't changed a lot in terms of. Um, being more acceptance. Um, the strangest uh, event that I ran across is <clears throat> my trip to Vietnam um, last two years ago. Uh, I think they're more open in terms of um, actually seeing lesbian couple holding hands on the street. And here, I haven't really seen it yet. So I don't know if you understand where I'm going with this, but um, uh, definitely the, the city's Little Saigon rep represent a lot of uh, a city in Vietnam. Mm. In many ways, like, as an outsider, my parents kind of also, their relationship to it is like, Little Saigon is like this piece of Vietnam that they like took with them. And for, for so long growing up, like the kind of mainstream politics of like the city, to me was like, oh, that's what Vietnam is. But then growing up and being more aware of sort of like transnational stuff, I learned that, you know, Vietnam is also like a place that is like changing and growing. Ladies and gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. <laughs> So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying, Happy Birthday 3CR! Do you see yourself as um, making more um, or like working 
together on more documentaries and or films on um being queer and Vietnamese. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we actually kind of have. Um, so this year I made two short films. Uh, one is called Nook. Um, and I, I sent you the link if you want to. Like, yeah, Nook? Yep. Like, mm, mm. Yeah, and so that, that, I mean, I feel like that was a direct offshoot of like this film, mm-hmm. and it couldn't have been possible, like literally, because Rosie, who's in my documentary, is like acting in it yeah, as like. Yeah. So it's, it's a different way of exploring queer Vietnamese-ness, where it's like this is a documentary that's like about people's lives. Like the other one is like more of an experimental, like I was inspired by things I learned from other people and like made a scripted thing mm. and helped translate it and we were learned a lot about how to do the honorifics and like because it, it was important to not use like gender in it so it was like not to like, use what like gender pronouns mm-hmm. in it like mm-hmm. translate it so it's like very interesting to also like learn how to navigate Vietnamese that way um mm. yeah it's totally okay. a pain Huh? Is it pain like navigating around gender neutral pronouns in Vietnamese for like especially to address older people? Yeah. 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 It's a very it's a very complicated like terms of address system. Like one of the most complicated in the world actually linguistically and oh, um, wow. it was it was interesting to see how folks in Vietnam would would use the system um and and change different pronouns in a way that was still you know, re- grammatical. Um, mm. um, you know, you can sing then if you're. You can call yourself by name if it's lateral with friends, or mm. but also um, sometimes the lesbians who were not transgender they would go by N, which is usually like, um, a, yeah. a, gen- like a male oh, gender. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that. It's really interesting um, to to see how like the language can. I mean, human beings make language, right? right. And so. Mm. If we if we if we make a construct that's that changes slowly over time, and just like in English too, like we've invented pronouns, like yeah, you know. I I actually um, I don't know if it's caught on, but in San Jose in Northern California, like people were using gem, like oh gem. Instead of, yeah instead of n they were putting j and n together oh and oh, gem. J, oh j and m together really <laughs> that's so really it's cool caught on yet, but like oh, I interesting. Like den, like lemon. Yeah, like lemon. Lemon lesbian. Well, I want to be all genderqueer lemon. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, just to continue what I was saying about films, um, Shannon, I filmed a, mm-hmm. another film called Love Sings in <laughs> Shannon's house where she allowed us to, you know, open durians in her bedroom. Oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I do think that this film has made all of us closer together in ways of like, yeah, creatively, like because I'm a filmmaker, I'm always making films and dragging all my friends into the film. <laughs> so like on a level of like a different level of like, I don't know, I, I feel like I have like queer beat friends. I think Gwyn also is telling a story that, that people want to hear. I mean, new was just filmed in Outfest, which mm-hmm. is the largest LGBT. Yeah, that's really amazing. I'm sorry, it's screened in Outfest, the largest LGBT film festival in the U.S. You know, mm. Love Stinks keeps getting invitations it's as well. Really it's it was screened at the Vietnamese International Film Festival, um, where it was also kind of made and 
you know, yeah. I think also if that she has the funding, she would. <laughs> she would you got the money. <laughs> yeah, she would do a lot more movies. I mean, that's the honest truth. If she has more funding, she would definitely do more. I mean, of course. you know. Yeah, Shannon has volunteered to help with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, back to, like, the question about not only, like, because of this documentary, but people have asked me, like, do you feel, like, pigeonholed into, like, making queer Viet stuff mm. all the time? And I'm just like, I have so many queer Viet things to say. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that limiting to me that that's kind of, like, my niche right now. Also, she... You know, Gwyn has also made films with James Franco. And, what? I mean, it's not the only thing to do, like, The Labyrinth, if you want to check that uh, out. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can Google her. She's on Google. <laughs> if you could say one thing to, like, a first-gen or second-gen or even third-gen um, um, Vietnamese people in the diaspora's community about being, mm-hmm. like, both queer and Viet, um, what would you say to them? I would like to say that to never give up finding who you are and to accept everything that you are and keep on fighting other people who reject who you are. Just never give up on being yourself. Oh. Thank you. I think for me, the biggest lesson that I've learned so far and I'm still learning is like our communities are so diverse. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, if you have kind of this intersection of identity, you often feel like you're not enough, so like not queer enough, not being enough. Mm. And if, I think if we're all more aware of the diversity like that exists in our communities, it's, I don't know, you, you stop feeling like you're not enough, and you are enough. You, queer Viet person in the world are enough. (laughs) I'm pointing, you can't see me. (laughs) I would say that, you know, have faith that you're not alone. I mean, in this cliche or whatever, but it it truly is. I think, I think for like an Asian community or, you know, Vietnamese in my experience too, like the feeling of belonging is really important. And, you know, they say that we want to, you know, not stick out and, you know, a lot of couples, they dress alike and whatever, you know, you just, your parents want you to belong, like conform and do what they say. And there's all of this obedience culture, you know. So when you, you are different, feels really, really hard. Um, but thank you. But I think I think it's important that people know that uh, that you're you're not alone. So you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. In the studio today is just myself, Tan Hung. Just a bit of like me in the studio. I haven't had um, I haven't had time on my own for a long time in this in the studio and it's a pretty quiet Sunday um but it's nice it's nice to be here it's good to be here um so the interviews that we heard a bit earlier were interviews that Eric and I did with the queer Vietnamese documentary crew so including uh the documentary filmmaker the director uh Quinn Wing Le, um who's a queer Vietnamese American filmmaker based in Los Angeles California and the documentary uh also features Rosie Vong Im and Natalie Newton and Shannon Miley so um that documentary um 
I'll actually be holding a screen screening of it, um, as well as the short films Nook and Love Stinks, which were mentioned in the interview. And the screening will happen on August 11th, so save the date. It'll be at Hares and Hyenas, which is in Fitzroy on Johnson Street, and um, it'll be starting at around 7.30, so we'll screen the two short films and then the documentary. Um, so please do come along. It'll be the first time it's screened outside of the States, which is amazing. Um, we're so lucky to to bring it here to Melbourne and um, it'll be the first time it'll be screened in this country actually so um, yeah very exciting and tickets will be $10 unwaged and uh, $15 waged and the money with the permission of um, the director will be going towards um, a radio documentary that I've been producing called Remotely Intimate Um and yeah, it's to help support um, or to fund some uh, local musicians who will be helping me out with sound production for for that doc- documentary, which will be released in October. Um, more details to come soon, though. For now, uh, I wanted to um, to mention that um, when Eric and I were interviewing the crew, um, Natalie Newton, who uh, is one of the one of the people who features in the documentary um, talked about the Westminster Tet Parade in 2013. So in 2013, um, Dr. Natalie Newton led the fight for LGBT inclusion for the in the Westminster Tet Parade. Um, and in previous years, LGBT people had participated in the parade um, in a kind of minor sense, um, but until sponsorship had changed to private hands. So uh, here's an interview I did well, here's, here's a snippet of the interview where Natalie talks about the campaign to include LGBT people in the 2013 Westminster Orange County Debt Parade. Every, every lunar new year, the, the city of Westminster has a Debt Parade, um, and it, draw, it draws like over 10,000 people. It's the largest public gathering of Vietnamese people mm. in the region, and it's you know attended by city council members of many cities in Orange County, not just Westminster. Um, people like you know senator senators who represent the district here in in California. Um, you have major like you know Vietnamese celebrities sometimes, um, and then you also have smaller organizations like nonprofits or marching bands of high schools, and you know it, it's basically it's broadcasted over many Vietnamese TV stations and online. And, and if you go online, actually, and you YouTube, you know, you can find, you know, Vietnam veterans who are explaining what this is about. And you get a sense that they're talking to Vietnam. They're, they're telling the homeland that, you know, you may have won the war, but we in the diaspora have made it in, in, a, in a new country, and, and let me show you how. And so this parade is like this display of like mm. the, the generation. So you have many young people who are you know, dressed in Aoyai, and it's all of this very filial piety and um, this pious showing or whatever. So, you know, we, the LGBT contingent was the only contingent that was rejected from the parade and it wasn't just homophobia it was it was a very organized um vie for power that used lgbt issues as a wedge 
into the community and there was a religious leaders behind the scenes. So it was never like in the mainstream Western sense of like, oh, the Christian right is organizing against gay people and putting us in, you know, whatever, uh, anti-gay reparative therapy or something. It's, it was very like using a race argument saying <clears throat> um, LGBT is against Vietnamese tradition. And this is not specific to Vietnamese community. This has happened in Chinatown in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, similarly in the Mexican community in Orange County, um, the Irish Day Parade in Boston in the 90s. Just, I can go on and on. The way that, because we live in a racist society, LGBT issues can be seen as like a way to split your own community and say right. what what is racially pure and what's not. Mm. So, mm. to so so when we organized this this issue, it wasn't like organizing any other gay protest that I had done before. We never boycotted, which is like the number one strategy for a lot of mainstream LGBT, like boycott Coors Beer, boycott Chick Fil A, boycott Mo Mozilla Firefox because they're anti-gay. Because boycotting would not make sense to an ethnic community, like everybody's going to go to the parade. And also, why are we dividing and conquering our own community? Like that's the tactic of of the mainstream right. white oppression. And so we actually wanted to, it, and also it's the tactic of, of the people who opposed us. Like we wanted to be in the parade. We wanted to be in their face and, um, and not allow them to, you know, create a hygienic, you know, sanitized parade. Um, so when I tell that to people outside of Little Saigon, especially mainstream non-Vietnamese gay people, they think that we have internalized homophobia because we want to be part of our communities. Like, why are we trying to get acceptance from these homophobic leaders? And they don't get it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and also Orange County has this weird mystique as like this conservative, whatever, TV show style yeah. housewives you like know, rich, white, white rich, blonde, you know, sparkly diamonds on their hands. And and it's not, the 2010 census shows that 51% of Orange County, of the Orange County population is people of color. So so in that sense, too, I think we were, we had to combat a lot of stereotypes, too. Um, so I'm going to stop there. Yeah. I, I can go on and on. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear about how, um, um, you know, rather than boycotting it, how you went around addressing this issue. So we actually had like a multi-pronged campaign, you know, we started out creating our own media, which was bilingual. It, mm. it, it, we started out on YouTube and then we, we, so we had press releases. Then we snowballed into Vietnamese TV and radio and newspapers because we were already in the news the three years prior. We were in the parade for three years in a row before we were rejected by a new, a new set of leadership. Then we also created a petition online where we garnered like 1,600 signatures. We had, um, uh, we had, we solicited Vietnamese organizations, nonprofits, uh, the ACLU, legal organizations, religious organizations mm. to send letters of support. Uh, they would email them to the mayor of the city of Westminster and also the president of the parade organizers. And then we also, um, we sort of lobbied with uh, the Garden Grove Unified School District to pull public funding in, a, in, the, in the bus that they were going to have. We also sued them. Yeah. Um, that lawsuit didn't win, 
um, because in the U.S., uh, freedom of speech is very strong, and a parade is considered freedom of speech, and so mm-hmm. in that sense, they could say whatever they want in terms of what is Vietnamese and what's not. Um, and we also had, you know, several conversations with community organizations, people, like, who could influence them. And then it just started snowballing where other people started doing stuff we didn't ask for. Like, mm. Yeah, the, I read, like, a lot of where... So I wasn't involved in the organizing, but this is also the kind of the time that... And this is Wing, by the way. The time I was, like, coming out... And so there were there were a lot of things that I was reading that just other like queer Viet people were like writing on blogs or like things that on like news outlets about like things like, you know, I'm like gay and Vietnamese and like you know, like changing the narrative, which is why you're creating all the media, right? Like there's like this push to be like queerness is a part of Vietnameseness and they're wrong. And it kinda of started this like very far-reaching conversation, I think. Yeah, um, and and also, I think I think it's important to recognize, too, that even though we did all these things, um, and we had a presence at the parade, we, we also somehow, you know, the, the major funder of the parade that year um, threatened to pull funding for the next years if they didn't allow gay people in. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, like, $30,000 that, you know, the whole thing is only, like, 45 or so, and so... Even with all that, the the organizers they didn't back down, and and they had so much pressure, like senators calling them, like you know, if you googled the word Westminster that year, just the city's name, pages and pages of Google, the BBC, um, Voice of America, LA Times, OC Register, like on and on and on, and it was just it just made this the it just made them look bad and um, so that level of pressure still would there was no out there I mean they didn't they didn't back down and it had to do with like the public image you know they ha- it had to do with face and um, oh it's it's complicated the parade how, how it is that we were supposed to combat it because then you know the following year, I wasn't part of the organizing, but they had a mediated kind of conversation with the mayor and the parade organizers, and they cut a deal, basically. Um, it, it, to give you some context, the same thing happened in Los Angeles in the early 2000s, and it took them eight years to get an LGBT contingent to be okay in the Chinatown parade, and it mm. took us one year, plus the three years where we were in the parade with some drama. And um, mm. and so I think it, that's also testament to how different the politics can be in Orange County and in Little Saigon in particular, as compared to what people might perceive as a more progressive city, metropolitan, Los Angeles, etc. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. I went. I heard about. Well, when I was sort of like discovering my queerness, and I came across um how there were um a um, Vietnamese queer float um, who were a part of like the third parade in um, Orange County. I was so happy about it. I was so excited because like um, somewhere out there in the world, in like um, the Vietnamese diaspora's community, there are like queer people um, and sort of like queer people out there who are showing the community that um, we are here 
if uh, if that makes sense. Um, and so yeah, I really admire all the wonderful work that you um, and everyone who are like we and Vietnamese who are working really hard to um, to raise awareness and to support our community. Thanks, I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm I hold all these memories in my heart too of people, you know, telling us how it impacted us. Um, and them and everything and, and one of the things I think that this film does too is that it also tells a story beyond the parade like you know yeah, it doesn't really focus so like this stuff that Matt is saying is like actually what happened but it's not really in the film yeah so it's it's definitely a starting point I right guess. and then and then I think the, the same yeah. conversation of like what does it mean to be queer and Vietnamese like mm, beyond mm. the of this parade, like in people's everyday lives, like how do they navigate their communities? Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and, and what you said, Eric, in terms of the, the impact, I think that the film tries to affect that feeling of, of the intimacies of everyday life um, like the parade, for example. Hello, this is Archie Roach, and you're listening to Good Music on 855 AM on 3CR. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Um, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. So the interview we just heard um, was just a snippet of a bigger interview that I did with the queer Vietnamese-ness, Doko Crew. Um, uh, but it was specifically, um, we heard from uh, Dr. Natalie Newton talking about um, the fight that they led for LGBT inclusion in the Tet Parade uh, at Westminster in California, Orange County, in 2013. It's very interesting. Um, what else can I say? Well, we're going to wrap up soon, but um, I'm going to put up links of the documentary and the f- upcoming film screening, as I mentioned, on August 11th. Um, please save the date. Please come to Hairs and Hyenas and check out the the films there. It'll be really good. Um and yeah, and um, all the I'll put up some links of um, all the the cast and the director and their films, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, there is also a Facebook event page if you're on Facebook um, for sorry, a Facebook yeah, a Facebook event page for the film screening that I'm holding on August 11th. Um, just look up queer Vietnamese-ness film screening um, Australian premiere. So we're gonna go out with another song by Le Cap Trumny.
3CR Community Radio. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Have a good Sunday.